country on earth in shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box and we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. All of those examples Pete Moss just mentioned. Boy, it sounds easy, doesn't it? But it, when it plays out, it certainly is a task that's harder than we've been able to master. Hey, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Welcome to the Tuesday show. Tuesday, every Tuesday in our second hour, Steve Baker joins us to bring us up to date on the latest crazy stuff happening in D.C. And it's plenty crazy up there. He'll be with us for the entire second hour today. He's going to bring us up to date on all of the stuff that we piecemealed through the last week with Steve of happenings there regarding a lot of things, but specifically attacks, direct attacks on our own Steve Baker by our own government. It's going to be very, very interesting. I don't want anybody to miss any of it. So why don't you reach out and remind a few folks that you know like to participate on these Tuesday shows, remind them Steve will be here. He will be here. He's not live in the studio. A few things happened last week that just kept his attention and his personal presence (laughs) somewhere where circumstances dictated. That's all I'm going to say about that. But Steve will join us in our second hour today. Meanwhile, Back at the ranch. Well, there are so many moving parts to government today. Finally, finally, one governor in the state just thumbed his nose at Washington, D.C., and his state legislature passed a bill. Both houses passed that bill, and it went to his desk, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, yesterday, and he signed it into law. And what is that all about? If we have time with Steve Baker, we're going to touch on this topic. But basically, it boils down to this. The United States government refuses to enforce the law. And when Greg Abbott, the governor, decided to protect his state, the southern border that runs along the Rio Grande River and some mountains, that he was going to protect his citizens regardless. You're going to hear more about that today if we have time, but In the next few days, you're going to hear a lot about it because Democrats, especially those in the White House and in the Biden administration, they don't like it for obvious reasons. And Joe Biden is in deep, deep trouble. We're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about our economy, how bad it really is. It's even worse than you and I think it is. One economist has predicted this next year, that starts in a week and a half, will bring the biggest economical crash in the United States of our lifetime. Oh, my gosh. We don't want to hear the bad stuff down. We just want to uh, sing along, be happy. It's Christmas week after all. we got to make all of this stuff at least perceptually go away. Well, that's okay. We'll do that for a little while today. We'll start right now. How about it? Angels, we have 
recognized one or two of those voices in there, you hear them every once in a while on this show. That was from the group Forever Jones from right here in Shreveport. Dominique Jones, better known as Doe Jones, Grammy Award winner also from right here in Shreveport, Louisiana. She calls me Uncle Dan. I love that. (laughs) Anyway, I hope Christmas week so far has been really good to you. You deserve it. And man, What do you think about Christmas and New Year's coming at the same time, which they do every year, day of the week, same as Christmas and New Year's Day? But what do you think about that being on Sunday? I feel like I'm almost cheated. We need to have those holidays, especially those two, happen during the week so we can get an extra day off. I don't know legally. I just thought of this. We have federal holidays. We've got to allow employees to be on holiday, which typically means paying for not working. But they don't work on Sunday, do they? Most of them don't. Do we have to pay them? I owned a company for 30-plus years, and I can't even answer that. I never had to deal with that. And, of course, that's not one of the really important things going on today. Hey, listen, Steve Baker will be here in the second hour. He is going to, analytically, I'm going to make him go through the paces and begin at the very beginning of what has instituted the pending legal action by the feds against our own Steve Baker. He's going to bring us, some of you haven't been around with Steve over the last year or two when he's been with us on Tuesday, but... We're going to let you hear firsthand exactly what's gone on and exactly what is going on right now today, and we're going to get him to tell us what his expectations of that are. Seriously, folks, he he has unleashed the beast on the federal government, and Uncle Sam's not happy about it. I'll just leave it right there for now, but you might want to make a phone call got somebody that listens or you know would listen today, especially with Steve Baker being here, and tell him he'll join us at the top of the first 
end of the first hour, right at 10 o'clock Central this morning. He's going to be with us. Little bit of unnerving economical prediction from a very smart and very normally successful in prognosticating economy. Harry Dent, an economist, has warned everybody's predicting 2024 will bring the biggest financial crash of our lifetime. So, clock's ticking, getting close to 2024, and Harry Dent, he came up with some negative prognostication for us all. He said since 2009, this has been 100% artificial, unprecedented money printing and deficits, $27 trillion over 15 years to be exact. This is off the charts, 100% artificial. What that means is we're in a dangerous state. I think, he said, 2024 is going to be the biggest single crash year we'll see in our lifetimes. Wow. Now, this is Harry Dent. Harry continued, and he said, I'm the guy that's praying for a crash. While everybody else is not, they're praying that we don't have a crash. We need to get back down to normal, he said. And we need to send a message to central banks. This should be a lesson I don't think we'll ever revisit. I don't think we'll ever see a bubble for any of our lifetimes again. Now, who is he? Well, Dent spent the majority of his career, he analyzed proprietary research, credited his against-the-grain prediction of overvalued markets and excessive stimulus spending. So while a few handful of recent rallies have overwhelmingly provided investors with mild recession expectations, Dent remained firm that an everything bubble is going to pop next year. Now, we're not going to get into the deep dive into economics. We're not going to go there. But historically, when you talk about market bubbles, they're characterized, every one of them I've seen, by a really quick rise in stock prices before being met by a really sharp, quick failure. The Economist noted this bubble actually started in late 2021 after the height of the COVID pandemic. First signs showing in 2022 when NASDAQ was down 38%. Dent says the new year that's just a few days away will bring the B wave of that crash. The Roaring Twenties bubble was not an everything bubble. A real estate barely bubbled in 2008. It was stocks and urban real estate that bubbled, he said. This is the one time I'm telling you, do not listen to your financial advisor. Things are not going to come back to normal in a couple of years. We may never see these levels again. And this crash is not going to be a correction. It's going to be more in the 1929 to 1932 level. In other words the Great Depression, and anybody who sat through that would have shot their stockbroker. That's an 86% crash in the S&P, 92% crash in the NASDAQ. And crypto, it's going to be a 96% crash. So that's a big deal, he said. And real estate, by the way, is only projected by me, Dent, Harry Dent, to go back to its 2012 lows. 
but that's a 50% crash for the average house, which went down 34% in the last crash, more than the Great Depression, more than any other time in history. That's what's going to hurt people the most. Criticizing investors who have played into a year-end market rally where the Dow ended last week scoring its third record close after it popped up over 37,000, Dent encouraged Americans to get out of the way. What does that mean? He explained. He said, if I'm right, it's going to be the biggest crash of our lifetime. Most of it happening in 2024. You're going to see it start and be more obvious by the middle of the year, by May next year. So if you just get out for 6 to 12 months and stuff stays at the highest valuation history, maybe you miss a little more gains if I'm wrong. If I'm right, you're going to save massive losses and be able to reinvest a year or a year and a half from now at unbelievably low prices and magnify your gains beyond comparison. We're still up there. We're still near the highs. That shouldn't have happened. So you've gotten a gift. You've gotten this rebound where you get a second chance to get out near where you could have before. Boy, that's lucky, lucky, lucky. Last week, remember this, the Federal Reserve hinted it would end its historic campaign to bring down inflation, and that's going to propel a new streak of records for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Policymakers... (laughs) They're the ones that are the financial experts, right? In their annual projections, priced in the potential of three interest rate cuts, with the Fed funds rate falling to a range of 4.4 to 4.9 percent, that's down from the current five and a quarter percent to 5.5 percent. Now, looking at the Fed's rate trajectory, Dent believes there's no chance of a soft landing. He believes continued disinflation is going to turn into deflation for the first time since the Great Depression in the 1930s, and that the central bank has a weak economy in its hands. The only reason they had to tighten so much is because they stimulated too much over COVID, spent too much printed money. But that tightening is now so much because they're stimulated too much over COVID. It's going to hit way more next year, 2024. When you stop that gravy train and reverse the tightening, you're going to be in a depression within a year, not a mile. All this talk about, oh, yeah, now we're going to have a mild recession, not a chance in Hades. Depressions, those are different from recessions. Depressions go way, way, way more deep, and they end up in deflation. It's going to bring down a lot of consumer price inflation, especially housing. When this asset bubble bursts and the price of everything, especially housing, comes back down to reality. Imagine, not only can you buy the house you want at half price, you can buy twice as nice a house here for the same mortgage you were going to get before. How's that for a Christmas present? The everything bubble, everything bubble, it's going to leave a lasting slowdown impact for from 12 to 14 years. During that time, he agreed America's wealth gap would widen as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. 
That's the way it always works. The little guy gets busted while those at the top of the heap, and I'm going to point some fingers here when I say this, but those at the top of the heap, most of them number among either members of Congress, the high-up administration, bureaucrats appointed at the highest levels, and then, of course, you stack them top of those people, those evil billionaires, those that are in the bullseye of crazy Joe Biden and everybody else that believes the same way he does. They're Robin Hood. Joe Biden's known as Robin Hood. He promised us he was going to go after the rich and give all that money that he took in making everybody pay their fair share in taxes. And that's going to, I can't use the term trickle down because that's a bad thing for Democrats. Ronald Reagan invented that, remember? And he was poopod by every Democrat that was breathing. Lo and behold, though, the actor from California got it right. And the guys down at the bottom did way, way, way better than was expected. I think it's going to be a tipping experience. We are going to see an entire generation of Americans that'll just be running around screaming and crying and hollering and blaming and pointing fingers at everybody that has anything. The only way you got that was stepping on the little guy. You're one of those people that believe that there's a real capitalist market out here that everybody can participate in. You can't do that unless you got liquid cash. So I hated to scare you with this story to start the show, but it's a It's a dose of reality. We've all got to face it. No government in world history that I know of, I've never been able to see it, if they had any ties at all to capitalism and tried to do what Joe Biden has done and what Congress has done over the last five or six years, spending, spending, spending with no real reason to do it other than to drive a quest to buy the market and make people, the voters, think like that's a good thing for us all. Everybody from top to bottom is going to pay the price. Once again, the only people that will probably do really well are the people that have so much money they can just take it out of the banks, take it out of investments, just sit back, fold their arms across their chest, and watch football and soccer and baseball and basketball. And there are going to be a bunch of those, but you know who number among them? Those evil, filthy rich people. Now, let's just keep keep on going. Since we're in the money conversation right now, guess who got caught? Well, hadn't got caught, got exposed about money. President Joe Biden's daughter. Oh, my gosh. Is it a biological thing? Everybody in the Biden family cheats. His daughter owes unpaid income taxes that date back several years. And she has tax troubles. According to a tax lien docket that was obtained by a conservative outlet, Ashley Biden owes five grand, $5,000 for the period beginning 2015, while her father was Barack Obama's vice president, until January 1st of 2021, three weeks before he took the oath of office 
and militarized Washington, D.C. On December 1st, the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue in Philadelphia County notified Biden that the amount of such unpaid tax interest, additions, or penalties is a lien in favor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania upon the taxpayer's property, real person, or both, as the case may be. That came from the motion. A lien is a legal claim on property imposed by a government entity to secure the payment of those unpaid taxes. A scale is not anything like Hunter, but Joe is constantly talking about how wealthy and connected people don't pay their fair share and can't afford to pay more. And it just so happens that both of his living children did not pay their taxes. This is just one more example of the Bidens being careless. Like, you'd think that they would show a little bit more prudence when you're the first, when you're the American first family, to make sure you don't have any tax problems, especially going into election year, you think? Ziegler. Garrett Ziegler who's the founder of a website where pictures from Hunter Biden's laptop from hell are posted, he told the outlet that his research team came across Ashley Biden's tax lien while conducting a routine search in Philadelphia County courthouse system. Ashley, if you don't know who she is, she's the youngest of President Biden's kids and the only child he fathered with First Lady Jill Biden. Hunter was recently indicted, as we all know, on federal tax evasion charges for failing to pay at least a hundred, no, $1.4 million in self-assessed federal taxes that he owed for tax years 2016 through 19. Between 2016 and October 15th of 2020, the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts, girlfriends, luxury hotels, rental properties, exotic cars, clothing, and other items of personal nature. In short, he paid everything but his taxes. Now, who just said that? I just quoted somebody. Special counsel David Weiss. And that's actual verbiage from his tax fraud indictment of Hunter Biden. By the way, Hunter could face up to 17 years in jail. And then there is another Biden that's in the tank, (laughs) according to the Washington Post. Now, this is epic. Can you believe the Washington Post actually released a story that makes it look bad and maybe illegal, if not just dishonest, for anybody with the last name Biden to get caught up in a scandal, but Jim slash James Biden, we found out yesterday was caught on some FBI tapes. The FBI has in its possession tapes that captured Jim Biden negotiating business ventures that involved Joe. This is hearing, actually, tapes that have James implicating the current president. Now, this is coming from the Washington Post. And remember who the Washington Post is. When the laptop from hell was identified as being Hunter's, 
Washington Post waited 532 days to acknowledge it. Almost two years. The tapes about this one, Jim, reveal how members of the Biden family worked when they raked in millions of bucks while Joe referenced as the big guy. At least five Biden associates held federal office, according to the House Oversight Committee. According to our House Oversight Committee, the Biden business earned $24 million between 2015 and 2019. The business used more than 20 shell companies. Associates sold the Biden brand around the world. None of those three assertions are not true. They're proven. They're factual. James would be the one that received a subpoena to appear before a House impeachment inquiry so far. He controls the company Lion Hall Group, an entity that investigators suspect of wrongdoing. According to the Washington Post again, many of James's business ventures operated through Lion Hall Group, including some negotiations caught on tape by the FBI. Richard Dickey Scruggs, he's got to be a, a Southerner. He is, he's got two first names, Richard Dickey Scruggs. He happens to be a Mississippi trial attorney. He tried to use James Biden's influence with Joe to close a deal that forced tobacco companies to pay billions of dollars. The Post also told readers their story does not prove Joe knew about the alleged money trail or did anything wrong. This is from the story. Listen to this. The deal with Lion Hall also illuminates the Bidens' decades-long relationship with Scruggs, once one of the country's most powerful trial lawyers who made his fortune taking on corporate interest and making friends in politics. We've heard that before somewhere, haven't we? Over and over and over again, actually. Scruggs took James Biden on a boat trip while they talked about a potential partnership on asbestos lawsuits. He flew Joe on his private plane to a fundraiser, met with Biden family members at University of Mississippi football game. Scruggs and his associates testified to this. But James and Sarah Biden's ties to Scruggs also later brought them to the periphery of a sweeping federal investigation, one that eventually led to the trial lawyer's epic downfall in 2008 over a, drumroll, bribery scheme. As FBI agents circled in on Scruggs and his associates, it was about a plan to deliver 40 grand in bribes to a local judge. They also accidentally, yeah, right, the FBI accidentally records telephone calls, right? They also secretly recorded conversations with James Biden, who at the same time was trying to create a consulting firm with the Scruggs partners. Neither James Biden nor his brother was charged or accused of wrongdoing in the case, which led to prison for Scruggs and several of his associates, including James Biden's would-be partners. House investigators opened a probe into the Biden family back in 2022. 
They found out Joe Biden received money from James and Hunter. They also showed that nine additional Biden family members received money, payments, from the family's foreign business ventures. That included two of Joe Biden's grandchildren. Oh, there's no proof Joe Biden was involved. Yeah, everybody in the Biden family syndicate was implicated. We know that even those grandkids got millions. (laughs) anywhere in the world if you see something that cackles and they waddle when they walk it's a duck folks it's a duck well we've got a busy day today Steve Baker joins us in about 30 minutes and uh, we're just going to keep rolling all day long You know about that Senate debacle that happened where one senator's intern, gay guy, filmed himself and his partner having sex in a Senate building room? That's next. Facts and evidence is all you'll see and hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> movies, right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. Speaking the truth, the mainstream press will not. Dan Newman, TNN. Now we know that there's always, always has been apparently, is right now for certain and probably always will be a bunch of chicanery that goes on around um, the Potomac Valley up in the Northeast. Of course, I'm talking about Washington, D.C. and of course in Congress and other parts of our government. Well, we see some bad things happen. But one just appeared quietly over the weekend. Pretty raunchy, pretty nauseating to me. But a Senate staffer, I won't give you the name, it's out there, decided to bring a quote-unquote friend into the most prestigious Senate chamber committee hearing room. And they videoed the pair having sex on a dais. Both of them were men. I'm not drawing any conclusions there. I don't have to. You probably can draw your own. 
But I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. I'm positive there, I'm almost certain, I'm not absolutely certain, but come on, it's Washington, D.C. There has been sex perpetrated in various buildings, Capitol buildings in D.C. We know for sure there was quite a few that happened in the White House, a president and a White House intern. Her last name was Lewinsky. And the perpetrator, his first name was Billy Bob. (laughs) But now this one takes the case. Last night, Jesse Waters, he delicately waded into the conversation. Jesse, as he always does, he just hit the nail on the head. Should I have said that? Nail on the head? The Hart Senate building has produced some of Washington's biggest fireworks. From Condoleezza Rice testifying in front of the 9-11 Commission, or James Comey lying through his teeth about the Russia hoax, to Brett Kavanaugh's testy confirmation hearing right in room 216. Yes, we drank beer, uh, my friends and I, the boys and girls. Yes, we drank beer. I liked beer, still like beer. We drank beer. But last week broke the mold. A gay sex tape. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, actually, in this case, there is. The sex tape was so graphic, kind of made us miss the blue dress. A young man was caught naked on all fours, receiving what appears to be a considerable amount of pleasure in the most sacred space in the Senate. And no one, no one walked in on them. The two young, passionate and enthusiastic young men recorded it and shared it online. Now, primetime's a family show. Hey, Mom. So we're not going to show you the tape. But it was something that I had never seen before. It confused me. And I still have a lot of questions. But when the story broke on Friday, my first concern was, I hope this wasn't a Republican. Was I delighted later when I found out it was a Democrat? Perhaps. Then we learned it was a Democrat Senate staffer. Who did he work for? Fetterman? Schumer? Dick Durbin? Then, lo and behold, Senator Ben Cardin of the great state of Maryland released this statement. Aiden Mace Sarkopsky is no longer employed by the U.S. Senate. We will have no further comment on this personnel matter. So who is this Aiden fellow? Primetime's producers rummaged through some photos, then immediately had to clear up their search histories. Let's just say Aiden makes Judge Nudie look prude. Unfortunately, or fortunately, We're unable to show you Aiden's provocative pictures. In fact, everything Aiden posts is provocative. These are the only photos we were legally allowed to show. Here he is with Joe Biden, and let's just say Aiden is a fan. In a separate post, Aiden wrote, quote, I want Joe Biden to spit in my mouth. Suddenly, our friend Aiden released a statement, quote, This has been a difficult time for me as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. While some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my office. Now, I think Aiden and I have a different understanding of disrespecting the office. I thought disrespecting the office was Fetterman wearing shorts and a hoodie. Maybe Aiden hadn't heard that the Senate reinstituted the dress code. I think disrespecting the workplace would be pulling fire alarms, insider trading. Usually the sex acts are confined to the White House. 
The seat of government is not to be defiled. We were told you can't put your feet up on Pelosi's desk or carry a podium across the hall. So where does shooting a gay porn film fall? Well, it's unclear at this point because Capitol Hill police are still investigating. Will we be seeing 16 different camera angles like we did on January 6th? That's a tape I'm not gonna be demanding the release of. And is it me, but does Aiden seem emboldened? When I read his statement, kind of says he's the victim. He said he's being attacked for who he loves. I know it's the heart room, but I'm not sure love has anything to do with that. Maybe it did. And what political agenda are we pursuing? Prohibiting gay porn shoots at work? How's that a political agenda? That seems like your typical standard HR practice. This is what you call the Hunter Biden defense. I'm a victim, and this is about the love between a father and son. Getting caught breaking the law doesn't make you a victim. If convicted, it makes you a criminal. Indecency isn't something to be worn like a badge of honor. Society casting judgment on indecency, whether it's drugs, homelessness, moral depravity, illegality, doesn't make society intolerant. It's what makes society function. Maybe if we did cast judgment, we wouldn't be shattering records for drug ODs, homelessness, suicides, illegal immigration. Having codes of conduct that civilized human beings abide by is kind of what we call normal. If anyone's being attacked, it's us having to see that. Has Senator Cardin seen it? Well, he was confronted just a few minutes ago, leaving work. Watch. How did he get in there? I don't know the details. Well, it's just a staffer just following that earlier question that you knew personally, that you worked with personally. I know all my staff people, so I well, know. Were you particularly close to the staffer? Did you know about I can't tell you that I, I, I'm not going to get into my relationship. He doesn't want to get into his relationship. Democrats have been telling us to keep the government out of the bedroom. Well, Democrats just turned the government into the bedroom. So where does that leave us? You can marry your brother, shower with your daughter, sleep with Chinese spies, and no one's allowed to judge. If Sticky Sammy wants to steal women's clothes at the airport on your dime, he's just living his truth. If Hunter wants to deduct prostitutes on his taxes, he's not a tax cheat, he's an addict and a victim. If Pentagon officials want to dress up like dogs and have little pup play, that has nothing to do with their professional life. How dare you? Cocaine, trans flashers, Navy drag queens. This is all about Republicans pouncing, you see? Now, normally, after getting exposed like this, you'd leave D.C. in shame. But today, you can monetize attention, good or bad, and we'll soon be seeing the Senate staffer on Cameo, OnlyFans, or... Watch what happens live with Andy Cohen. Jesse did a great job tiptoeing around it and not getting down in the dirty part of uh, Washington, D.C. so much. But boy, the Twitter world went crazy about this. I mean, for a couple of days now. And if you want some good laughs, go look up. Go to, I, I tell you what, just go to Jesse Waters, any of his social media sites and see how people have responded. I mean, we've got some very creative people out there in social media world. I'm sure you heard about the presidential motorcade. Uh, they were out of D.C., and Joe was 
getting back in the car wasn't the big one, the one that he flies all over the world with, but it was a, it was a, a black SUV and they were driving and all of a sudden somebody pulled out and rammed the back side, the back part of the car that the president was in. Didn't get hurt, no big deal. I, I think it was just an accident that happened. Nobody was expecting the motorcade. And this, I think, was in Delaware that it happened. They were on their way back to the plane to go back to Washington, D.C. But the funniest reply that I've read, and I just read a few of them, but I thought it was pretty creative. Um, Talking about the incident at the Senate committee hearing room and Joe Biden's SUV getting hit by another car, somebody tweeted, well, Joe Biden's car wasn't the only thing that got rear-ended this weekend. That wasn't me, but I thought that was cute. People can be really creative when they want to be, even when it's nauseating stuff, still can happen. So, where are we going today? As I told you at the top of the show, many of you wait till after the first couple of minutes to get your coffee in your hand. You didn't want to listen to the Christmas song, so you didn't hear what I had to say. But Steve Baker, as he is usually doing now, every Tuesday, our second hour, he joins us to bring us up to date on the biggest stories that we may not see or hear in the legacy media that they don't want to talk about. Well, he's got a head full of stuff to talk to us about and some of it has to do with the January 6th stuff and people involved with that but it also has to do with him and January 6th stuff him personally he'll be here in just a bit talking with you not at you intelligent conversation TNN the Truth News Network here's the latest traffic report Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply Infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth, Truth News, News Network. Network. TruthNewsNet.org. 
Well, I know you hear all about the latest polling and how everybody looks in all the polls. There's a consensus now. Every single poll out there shows daily that the president's likability, favorability keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. In fact, this is sad what I'm about to tell you. One poll that came out yesterday, it showed that Vice President Kamala Harris, her favorability rating is above that of her boss, Joe Biden. So why is all of a sudden the world awakening and realizing there's a lot of bad stuff that's been happening under Joe Biden in the presidency? I think what's really getting everybody's attention now is the literal flood of illegals that are coming across the border, and we know now that the gotaways, there are far more gotaways. Those are people that don't come through the conventional means of getting into the country, like ports of entry or turning themselves in. They're being tracked electronically, and we know they're there, but they get away and they just disappear. Now, what kind of person would do that? Obviously, it's somebody that doesn't want to be caught. But the point is, we have hundreds of thousands of people that have passed criminality in their lives. We know that for a fact. And so when you look at the millions that have come into this border illegally on Joe Biden's watch, how many, what's the percentage that you can estimate of those people that have criminality in their background? Many of them come here and they're currently evading the law. So not wanting to scare anybody, but just think about what that can mean long-term. You put it in the context of what's happening around the world, our nation, the view of most other nations' leaders now, or that the United States that they've known about and worked with leaders here for decades and upon decades, that whole philosophy, thinking, about America and how we operate as a nation. It's gone. They've watched, they've listened to Joe Biden. They're not stupid. They know for themselves. Nobody has to tell them that we have some really big, wide, and deep issues led primarily by the actions and the inactions of our president, Joe Biden. So one thing... I heard a little bit very early this morning on Fox News about a poll that came out early this morning. And the one thing that just stuck out was how fast Americans who were on the fence about illegal immigration. I can't see how anybody could be on the fence. It's illegal. We're supposed to be the most lawing, abiding nation on the planet. And on the guise of this president, we're anything but that. And so the polls show the American people are turning against Joe in great numbers because of his support for illegal immigration. Joe Biden's supercharged effort to import more migrant workers, consumers, renters, has crashed Americans' support for legal and illegal Migration. The political result is a widespread public recognition that 1965 nation of immigrants narrative is damaging the ability of ordinary citizens, Americans, 
to live the decent middle-class life that was common before the government's 2008 housing crash. Only 26% of Americans approve of Joe's immigration policies. 26%. 69% oppose his immigration policy. 47% of Democrats and 67% of racial minorities dislike his immigration policies. A Fox News poll of 1,007 voters released a couple of months ago showed that 55% of GOP voters, 37% of all swing voters, believe legal immigration hurts our nation, top to bottom, east to west. Another 8% of Republican supporters in that poll say legal migration can hurt the nation depending on whatever the issue is. Just 35% of Republican voters think legal immigration, not illegal, legal immigration helps our country. Now let's put that in perspective. The United States for generations has every year allowed more people to immigrate into the United States legally. Now listen to this. More have been brought in legally, which means they go through the process to do it legally, and they follow the plan, and they eventually will get citizenship. We let more of them in every year, doing it the right way, than do any other country on the planet. But no, 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 no. It's not just one country on the planet. All of the countries on Earth, we allow more people to come in annually than all of the others put together. And according to these Democrats that are, they don't even try to dodge it anymore. The reason they're doing this is they want to create a permanent majority of illegal immigrant voters so that Democrats can dominate the polls on election day and therefore because they will sell and have been to illegals that they're the party that understands all you're trying to do is make a better life for you and your family. And we helped you get in here. We paid you when you got here. We're paying for your health care, your kids' education. We're taking care of all your needs, so you got to vote for us. That's the big deal. Biden's immigration policy to voters, it's threatening to overtake inflation as the number one concern. 28% of people polled last month told pollsters that immigration is their number one issue, while 33% said inflation was their top priority. The economy slipped to third priority at 23%. I can't imagine that ever happening. But most Americans see what's happening with our illegal immigration as something that is costing every American large amounts of money. The economy slipped to third priority. I can't imagine that. Joe's migration policy is also helping more drugs get in the country. That's according to 57% of the Harvard poll respondents. The wave of bad polls is forcing Biden to revamp his pro-migration policies. I think it's a little late for that. This month, Biden's deputies are negotiating a closed-door deal that would allow them to claim that the Republican legislators 
force them to reduce the chaotic inflow of economic migrants through the asylum loophole on the border. Boy, that is right from the Obama-Biden playbook, isn't it? When something bad happens, you blame it on your predecessors that left you a bad deal when you took office. Anything that good that happens by anybody that is not in their administration, they'll claim we did this or that we put it together, the infrastructure underneath it. We did that and they just were lucky to get the benefits as they did. Americans aren't Biden. That's all I can say. Now, finally, thankfully, one state has done something legally to address this and very, very demonstrably. Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed legislation yesterday that allows Texas local law enforcement officers to arrest illegal aliens, not for their federal law-breaking, but Texas law-breaking. Abbott's signature on the legislation, known as SB4, means it will enter into a law in March of 2024, The legislation makes illegal entry into Texas a state misdemeanor with those convicted under the law facing a fine of up to $2,000 or six months in jail. Repeat offenders could face a felony charge and up to 20 years in jail. The goal of Senate Bill 4 is to stop the tidal wave of illegal entry into Texas. The governor said that as he signed the bill in the border city of Brownsville. Opponents of the measure claim it is unconstitutional. They've criticized the Biden administration for not opposing Texas's efforts more strongly. The Border Patrol shut down two bridges on the Texas border. That's a big deal. I don't think it's ever happened. They did that to combat the entry of all these illegal aliens on those rail cars hours before Abbott signed the bill into law. Over 188,000 illegal immigrants have been encountered at the border during this fiscal year that just started October 1st. Now that's coming from the Custom Border Patrol. That follows 2,045,838 encounters in last fiscal year, 2,206,436 in fiscal year 2022, and 1,659,206 in fiscal year 2021. A Border Patrol official told the Washington Examiner there were at least 1 million gotaways, people who have evaded Border Patrol in fiscal year 2023. Just one governor, just one, has decided we're going to We're going to forget this stuff. We're going to take care of our state. And yes, the feds are the ones that are supposed to do that, but they're not doing it. They're not honoring and enforcing federal immigration laws. And they're telling us that we can't protect our own citizens. That's impossible to believe, but it's happening. That's what Joe Biden and all his immigration minions are about. Thankfully, thank God, one governor took the illegality into his hands and is doing something about it. Wow. Well, guess what? After this break, 
Steve Baker joins us next at TNN. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury. Not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Yep, that's where we are here. We find stuff, we ferret it out, we find out if it's factual or not. We pass that info along for you to use to make decisions with. Why doesn't everybody think that way? Oh my gosh, instead of trying to circumvent facts, why not just deal with facts? You don't have to worry about the last lie you told them. <laughs> Habitual liars. That that would if if that if I had to choose, I had two choices in life, and one of them was to be a habitual a habitual liar. I couldn't do it because I could never. My memory's so bad. I could never remember what I told that person the last time we talked, and so I'd probably lie again trying to cover up the other lie that I didn't know I told you. It'd be exhausting. Anyway, that kind of. Sounds like what happens in Washington, D.C. every day. I don't see how politicians can make it work. I don't see why they want to do that, but that's a story for another day. Joining us now from his hometown in North Carolina, photojournalist, investigative journalist Steve Baker, and he's been through it, and he's been side-by-side with you and this show since it all began And we've asked him today to kind of give us a nickel tour. So I'm going to guide him through how this all started and how we get to the point where we are today. And many of you don't know exactly where he is in this quest to uh, get Washington, D.C., that big swamp critter off his back. We're going to get him to tell us more about that. Steve-O, are you okay today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good morning, Dan. You hesitated for a second. I, I was uh, taking a sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I got a hello for you that uh, early, early this morning in a prayer meeting, uh, your old buddy, um, 
just went blank. Steve, Steve Munn. Yeah. Munzee said to give you his best, and he said he'd probably be listening to the show today. But anyway, I want to jump right in it. Steve, this all began, I guess, January 6, 2021. And you were on the ground there as a photojournalist, investigative journalist, and you were there to codify all of the events that day, I guess just because that's what you do. You're an investigative journalist. And, of course, ever since then, you've been in a fist fight a kick fight, whatever you want to call it, with people that we never thought we would have to worry about. We always felt like our government was behind us and had our backs. Hadn't been so much that from the very beginning. So would you tell us what happened that day after the speeches at the White House and everybody went down to the Capitol? And I think everybody that's listening probably knows that it got out of hand. But nevertheless, what was going on? What were you looking at on the ground as this all developed at the Capitol? You know, Dan, I want I want to actually take even a step further back, just a very, very quick step back in history uh, on that day, about that day. Go for it. And why I went. Because this is ultimately going to be a major part of my case should this uh, ever go to trial. And it's still, we still don't know yet if that's going to happen. We'll get into that here a little bit more later, I'm sure. But the, um, the point being is, is that me having not been one of those, uh, MAGA people, one of those longtime Trump supporters, one of those people that was, uh, excited to be in DC for the point of, um, protesting an election. I specifically was there to, see what was going to happen. I didn't know. I mean, we, none of us had, in, in our, our wildest imagination, did we have any idea that something was going to transpire like it did. At least I didn't anyway. Certainly not the, my companion, my colleague, another writer that I went with. We, we went there to cover the event for what it was. Now, having said that, I was also excited to see what would be maybe thousands of people showing up. Now I didn't think Dan on a Wednesday in January that there would be the amount of people show up that did. I'm I, maybe I'm thinking something in the order of 30, 50,000 people, something like that. That was that. In fact, I think I even wrote something about that on, on Facebook at the time that I did not expect um, the, a, a large crowd. But I did say and I did write something to the effect that I was looking to see uh, how these people brought their frustrations about what was going on. I didn't allude to even the fact that there was or wasn't or could be or could not be a, a um, uh a faulty or a, a fake election or a, a, a rigged election of any kind. I, I, I was a long time coming around to that even myself, but I did put it out there that this was something that was being presented to us as an opportunity to rattle the cages of Congress, to make our voices heard. I, I had already read that there was going to be a March on the Capitol, but a March on the Capitol um, in the form of what they called a Jericho march, because that was actually on one of the flyers, you know, where you walk around and you sound the trumpets and that sort of thing. I was looking forward to um, seeing that. But my most um, intent reason for being there was, and this is why I brought my tripod and my 
man on the street microphone was to get the impressions of the individuals uh, that were leaving the rally with the president to see if what they what he said had been had made any impact with them. I, we didn't know if he was going to release the Kraken. And for those who don't know what that means, that was uh, I think that was uh, his attorney, Sidney Powell, who claimed to have the kill shot evidence about uh, election fraud in uh 2020, and that she kept claiming that she was going to release the Kraken. Well, the Kraken never got released, Dan, and it certainly wasn't released that day. And in fact, and now we're on the day, and I get to the specifics of your question, is that about halfway through Trump's speech, now by the way, he was an hour late getting on the the, uh, the stage, uh, in fact, almost exactly an hour late, and then uh, we were cold. There was a 25, 35-mile-an-hour uh, uh, wind coming in from the north, it, it, we'd been out there for hours and hours. There's no restroom facilities to be seen anywhere. The, the audio was horrible. There was one jumbotron in the Washington uh, Monument lawn that was trying to service several hundred thousand people, which was the largest crowd I've ever seen in my life, uh, ever been a part of. And, and, and it just was a miserable experience. And there really was no uh, meat on the bone from the speech. I'm just being honest about that. Now, I know a lot of people love the day and the, and the patriotism and the flags, you know, the, 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 this, this wind whipping thousands and thousands of flags. It was, it, was a, it was a spectacle, to be sure. And a lot of people consider it the most patriotic event that they've ever attended in their life. I was just, I was just cold and, and wanted to get moving. So my, my colleague and I started moving towards the Capitol about halfway through the speech, so we could get in front of the crowds, and 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 they were all, and were, there were already people who had the same idea we did, and were peeling off by the thousands and heading that way. So by the time we got to what's called the reflection pool, uh, just before um, it was a little little after one o'clock, and Trump was still on the stage, by the way, according to the known timelines, uh, we could see we could hear the sirens approaching, a, a, an unusually large number of uh, police vehicles approaching the Capitol down uh, adjacent boulevards, and then we could see and hear flashbangs, and we could see uh, what looked like smoke, you know, ostensibly tear gas or something was being unleashed, and then we could see the uh, fluorescent vests of Metropolitan, D.C. Metropolitan Police officers coming down the steps of the Capitol, and I just looked at my colleague and said, well, that's where we're going, and that's what we did. We followed the story where the story went. And it was not what we anticipated, not what we expected, certainly not what we had been a part of any plan uh, to be a part of. And uh, we raced up to the Lower West Terrace. I turned my camera on at exactly 1.19 p.m. For those keeping score, Trump had left the stage about three minutes before that at 1.16. And depending upon where you were at in the crowd down at the Ellipse and at the Washington Monument, you could be anywhere from as little as a mile away from the Capitol or as much as a mile and a half away. And that was gives you an idea of how long it takes people to get over there. Um, and it was all walking. There's no, no automobile traffic at all. The boulevards are closed between the, the uh, uh, White House, the Ellipse, Washington Monument, and the Capitol. So if you, if you're going to get to the Capitol, you had to walk. And so the, uh, uh, let me interrupt you. Let me, let me interrupt you. I want to, I want to segue. When did you and your journalist friend that was with you, when did you first, how long after you physically got to the Capitol grounds, when did you first suspect there was something sinister that was about to happen? 
Well, when when we got to the reflection pool on the west side of the Capitol, uh, that was when we saw the smoke and the, heard the flashbangs, and and it's like, uh oh, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't know that the, I don't know that the thought sinister uh, crossed my mind, but something was going on and something that needed to be documented, recorded, and I had no idea, Dan, that there were already dozens. This is, you know, this is one of those questions that I've had for three years. I didn't know that there were already dozens of photojournalists, mainstream, press badges, uniformed, wearing riot gear, gas masks, helmets, um, body armor, mainstream photojournalists already there when I arrived. Now, this is just me, Dan. This is just me asking questions because that's what I do is if the president was a mile and a half away and he was the biggest spectacle of the day, why were you already positioned in riot gear and gas masks at the Capitol at one o'clock before he ever even left the stage? Have you ever gotten, have you ever gotten an explanation for that? Well, I, I mean, look, Here's, here's one thing that I know about really good photojournalists, really good ones that chase riots. Yeah. They come prepared. Yeah. They carry a bag full of all that gear. They carry gas masks. They carry body armor. They carry helmets. They, because they, when they get into a riot, it's a dangerous situation for them. We've, you know, we've seen, um, over the decades, uh, photojournalists who have lost their lives uh, covering riots and battles and war zones and things of that nature. So they do come prepared if they're truly pros. My question has always been, why were they there and why were they not where the president was if that was the biggest spectacle to be seen and to be photographed that day? But they weren't. They were already at the Capitol long before the president concluded. And there, there are some, there are some answers to that because there were some of the more militant groups or were some of the more, um, uh, let's say infamous groups like the proud boys that had already began working their way towards the Capitol. And you can see as they're marching and there's, there's from, uh, brand new, brand new release by our, our friend and uh, our, our Shreveport native, uh, speaker, Mike Johnson in this new release of video that he has put out as it's trickling out, one of the um, a dome cameras from the Capitol is able, you're able to see the Proud Boys approaching the Capitol and they're marching with about 200 people and they do have photo, photo journalists uh, surrounding them and they obviously marched over with them and I would imagine that would be a spectacle worth following and they are captured um, arriving at the Capitol far, far in advance of uh, Trump's conclusion of his speech. In fact, they arrived before he even began his speech. So there was already something up, something was in the offing, something was in the works, something had been planned. And that's, you know, part of the work that I've been doing for the last three years is trying to get to the bottom of that as well. But when we got to that lower West Terrace and I turned my camera on the first, the very first image I capture are people receiving first aid on both sides of the police lines. And then for the next hour, Dan, it was just full on. It was a battle. I mean, don't, don't let anybody tell you that there was not violence that day. Don't let anybody tell you that there were not bad people doing bad things that day. 
And also, I will also say, not only were there not, were there bad people on the protester side of the line doing bad things, but there were some bad cops that day. And I've been very, very cautious about my criticism of the Capitol Police in particular because I believe that they were set up. I have written an entire series of articles about the setup of the Capitol Police that day, all, going all the way back to the failure of intelligence that was not passed down to the line officer, that in fact was not passed down to the, com- the command level officers on the ground. Um, the, uh, the intelligence that was not passed up to the leadership of the, uh, Capitol police. And this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, as I said, an ongoing part of my own personal investigations. But the reality is, is that when I started rolling, rolling film, as they say, or used to say, anyway, we don't do that anymore. It's all digital. But when that happened, I was just literally caught in the moment by surprise and the only thing I knew to do was keep my camera running as uh, much as I could and try to keep as safe as I could in that, that battle scene because there were ne'er-do-wells on both sides of that police line. That's why I say I'm cautious about that. I, I know that the Capitol Police themselves were, were set up. I know that they were caught off guard. I know that they were scared. These young officers with no riot gear on whatsoever, no protection, no helmets, no face guards, no gas masks. Um, with pepper spray coming from the protester side of the line at the cops, uh, uh, objects, uh, sharp objects, uh, hard objects, um, uh, blunt force objects being launched at them, being used at them. And then I didn't think about it then, Dan, but can you imagine if you're a young 20 something, 30 something cop, your first, second, third year on the job there, you've never had to deal with any kind of violence of this sort. And as, as these people on the front line are attacking you, for us, some unknown reason that you weren't even warned about, you're looking over our shoulders down towards the Washington Monument, and you're seeing tens of tens of tens of thousands of people coming your way, and you have no idea what their intention is. Many of those officers genuinely believed that they were not going home that day. Wow. Many of them called their wives, they called their children, and said, I love you. I don't think I'm going to see you again. Wow, wow, wow. Let me ask you this. Yeah, yeah. At the Capitol, when you got there, before you really realized how negative it was getting and going to be, I know you were probably shocked when it happened like that. Did you see any people among the crowd that based upon anything they said or you saw them do, or get involved in, did you ever come away thinking, you know what, those people look like they were most likely plants that were put out there to get involved and maybe instigate some of this stuff? Yeah, my, my colleague and I did a video that night back in the hotel room when we got, uh, got back. He got back much earlier. He he um, <laughs> he was downwind from a lot of that pepper spray that pepper spray that was being launched by both sides on uh, the, uh, the West Terrace. And he, after he got hit about six or seven or eight times, he got the heck out of Dodge, went back to his hotel. And, and of course I did exactly the opposite and I, <laughs> I forged ahead, which brings me to my, you know, my current plight. But the point being is, is that uh, the answer to your question is, is that when we did a kind of a video recap of our day and what we had seen, what we had witnessed that day, I saw with my eyes, I saw what I 
deemed to be 99% uh, MAGA people doing bad things against the police. And that was what I reported on that video. Did I say that I saw elements of the left, elements of uh, Antifa type tactics? Yes, I did say that on the video. But then when I got back home and started doing frame by frame analysis of my video, I began to capture and see and identify more and more of what we would call these agents provocateur, these um, people that were trained in color revolution, people that were trained in riot skills, techniques, medics, uh, people that knew how to move crowds, people how to, knew how to whip them up, either with megaphones, uh, with body language, um, by inciting, I mean, you can incite an officer to attack, and and you know we have we have we actually have this on um, uh, Metropolitan Police body cameras audio now. We actually have the audio and video of a group of Metropolitan PD officers inside on the other side of the police line saying these very words that you you know that we're only making them mad every time we launch one of our our weapons like these you know uh, flashbang grenades or, or tear gas canisters he said we only make 10 more people attack us so they knew that they were in a no-win situation and they also knew that when or should i say go back to what i was saying here before so these people that are professionals in in ratcheting these events up in a violent way, know that if you attack the cops, you get the cops to react, then peaceful protesters will throw themselves in the battle because they don't understand why the cops are doing that to them. Did you I'm just here I'm just here waving my flag and all yeah. of a sudden you hit me with a with a rubber bullet? Yeah. Yeah. Did you witness any assaults by any of the people in the crowd against the Capitol Police? Absolutely. Oh, I, I, dozens of uh, incidences of that happening. Any thought at the time about who it was that was attacking the Capitol Police that you watched? As, as I said earlier, the, the my thinking in the moment was capture the event and stay safe. Got it. Yeah. Because I tried, I tried to get as close as I could. Sometimes I got right up on the line. Sometimes I pulled back, got in the crowd. Uh, sometimes I would get hit by the uh, splash. I never, I, you know, I, I was because I never was a threat to any law enforcement. They, they never aimed their weapons or their their uh, sprays at me. Um, but the uh, the point being is, is that in that wind and in being in proximity to people who were, I, you, know, you get that that splash off of them. And that, that is not a, uh, an experience that you ever want no, to no. have. I will tell you that right now. Did you have interactions directly with any of the Capitol cops that day? And if so, were they positive, neutral, whatever you came away with? I had absolutely zero interactions with them while I was outside. I did not have any action interactions with, uh, law enforcement until I was inside the building and then then again and then until after I had been inside the building for, for probably about a half hour and that was not until and of course I didn't know what was going on at the time but there was a moment in time just after 245 when for the first time all day I saw officers drawing their weapons well now you know now we know what was taking place it was the um uh 
it was the reaction that they were having from Ashley Babbitt having been shot uh, there in that speaker's lobby area behind the, the House chamber. And it was in that moment when their radios exploded uh, with all manner of, you know, uh, shots fired, shots fired, and, and chaos that was taking place at that moment that guns came out. And then it was the first, the first words I ever said to an officer where he was suiting up. He was one of those, um, um, what they call M4 units. He was carrying an automatic rifle and, and he was putting on his helmet and he was, uh, battening down his straps. And I walked up to him. I said, you're not planning on using that. Are you honest? Are you? And he said, hope not. And then I walked over into uh, a large stairwell, uh, that, that, uh, uh, goes up to the house chamber from the lower level and all of the officers in that stairwell. And it's a, it's a big double staircase there. And the, uh, all of the officers had their guns drawn ATF tactical unit, uh, arrived just as I, uh, began, uh, filming that area. And so there's lots of weaponry out at that time. And another officer ran over to the group that I was with and, um, started asking us if we had weapons. And I said, no, I said, we only have cameras. And then this officer, although he was very forceful at first, then he backed down. And this was a very interesting situation because some of these cops were really, really good at following their training. And, and again, all of this is in hindsight, Dan, uh, but going into de-escalation mode. And he said, okay, he said, okay. I'm, and he didn't, he didn't say, I'm sorry, but he was in a very apologetic manager, manner saying to us, and he said these words, it's not us. It's not us like that. In other words, tr trying to calm us down and let us know that all of these weapons suddenly drawn was not their fault. Well, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, he didn't know that it was in fact one of their own who had shot Ashley Babbitt, but he didn't know that in that chaos. Now you've mentioned her twice, Ashley Babbitt. She was really the only person that day that was actually shot by a Capitol police person. Now, I know there mm -hmm. is some conversation about that being that way, but you had personal interaction with those that were working with her after she was shot. But before I get you to tell us about that, I want to ask you the day after this whole thing happened, I was online as I know you were, and most everybody else was looking to find the facts that happened and a radio station had gotten their hands on video for on that stairwell where Ashley Babbitt was walking in front and she was trying to break through to get through a uh, some kind of door thing that had glass around it. And mm -hmm. it was over the shoulder of what I was told that day was a Capitol policeman who was above her on that staircase walking down and it showed him raise his handgun and shoot her from behind. He was on her left side behind, and there was a flash of blood as he he shot her in the neck on the left side of her neck, and she bled out. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw that, but later it disappeared. That video, I haven't been able to capture it since. What have you heard since about what happened to Ashley Babbitt? And if you would, tell the folks how you interacted physically as they were getting her out of the Capitol. It, it's a very complicated scenario. And I will tell you that I have flip flop because, you know, I look, Dan, I have from day one, I'm talking 
very beginning of this, I have been very honest that as I get more data, more detail, more access to video, I can learn more things. I can, I can hear testimonies from both sides and I can put things in total context. Sometimes it changes my mind and my perspective about certain events that happened that day, specific events. And there have been several things that I had my own because of my own uh, presuppositions, um, preconceptions about what took place because of what I saw with my own eyes uh, that when you look at it on video later <laughs> from other angles on the video, it changes the context of what you thought you saw. And, and so there are many things like that that happen today. The Ashley Babbitt shooting is still the single most confounding thing to me that day. And, and I'll be as brief as I can in explaining why. Okay. The, the officer that was on the other side of that door in the Senate chamber, I'm sorry, the house chamber, this is called what they call the, the, um, uh, speaker's lobby. It's behind, it's a large area, a gathering room. It's a private place. There's actually no capital CCTV cameras there on purpose for the very reason that this is where people, uh, where, where, uh, congressmen go out to kind of, you know, freshen up. We'll just call it that and, and discuss and have private conversations when they are battling over legislation inside. And so this particular area, they, as you notice from the video, and that video does still exist that you're talking about, um, that, that video shows that you could see the outstretched hands with the handgun of Officer Lieutenant Michael Byrd of the Capitol Police. He was a plainclothes officer. And if you look close enough on that video down the hallway, there's about a dozen uh, Congress members who have still not yet been evacuated into the tunnels. He was the trailing officer to follow them. So once the last one out, he was the one assigned to follow them down and be the, the trailing officer down. And that was his job. Now, Michael Byrd has some uh, disciplinary problems in the past. He has some um, uh, issues with his gun. Uh, he actually left his gun one day on the back of a toilet there in the Capitol. It was found by somebody else. I mean, this guy walked away from from his service weapon. You know, it's not not good thing. So it it would be easy to construe him as a bad cop. Uh, it would be easy from anybody just looking from the outside to say that he uh, murdered an unarmed you know, girl, woman. Um, but what you might want to do is look at the other side and I'm not defending him. I'm not defending his, his actions. I'm not saying that he could not have taken a m one more moment's pause to make sure that, that this person, cause he didn't know that was leaping through a broken window was a threat to those who he was in charge of protecting behind him. Uh, could he have waited a little bit more, a little bit longer? Yes. I will just tell you this. This is just the technical side. People don't get mad at me. I'm, I'm saying don't, you know, uh, take the sword to the messenger here. I'm telling you there's a reason why he was cleared in the shoot. When it comes to the Capitol Police actual um, uh, use of force training, they, like most law enforcement agencies around the world, particularly here in the United States, are not allowed to use deadly force unless they perceive um, that their life or the lives of others are in danger in terms of um, uh, mortal danger themselves. That's just the way use of force training works. There are exceptions to that, and one of the exceptions is that 
when somebody goes through a broken window, broken door, and you are guarding lawmakers, members of Congress, the president, don't expect to survive that situation. Now, that's why he was cleared. He wasn't cleared because of some cover-up. He wasn't cleared because of, of um, you know, shady dealings with the Capitol Police. Look, and believe me, I've caught the Capitol Police in cover-ups. I've caught and reported Capitol Police in shady deals, and we have more coming. I'm just saying in this particular instance, it, it deserves maybe a little bit of grace on both sides to try and understand why this happened. Because you have a man with his charges, the people he is he is sworn to protect standing behind him. They are not evacuated yet. And on the other side of the door in the glass that you are you are watching, you see you can't you don't know. You're all you see is people pounding on the glass. You hear the roar of the of the den on the other side. You hear the smashing of glass. You hear glass. Now it's penetrated. It, it shatters. It falls. And somebody leaps through that. Was it a good shoot? I don't know. I don't know, Dan. Was it a clean shoot? I don't know. I just know the technicality of why he was cleared. What puzzled, what puzzled a lot of people, including me, was I was shocked when the official cause of death on her death certificate was ruled to be a homicide. In the context mm-hmm. of what we know as law enforcement, that pretty much always means murder. And then I was also shocked well, when several days later he was cleared of anything and everything. I didn't understand that. Well, and still don't. Yeah, but- there can be a thing called justifiable homicide. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, so homicide is just, you killed somebody. Uh, then you get into whether it was um, negligent homicide, manslaughter, justifiable homicide, first degree murder, well, all, all the different varying levels of homicide. But, but he, um, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I'm not, I'm not defending bird and everybody, when I, when I explain my own consternation, confusion, um, my own inner conflicts over that particular scene, my heart breaks for the family of Ashley Babbitt. Oh, obviously. yeah. No question. You know, I, 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 saw, I saw Ashley Babbitt's dead eyes. I captured it on my own video. I will live with that image for the rest of my life. I was right there, six feet from her. And they and were still trying to revive her. They were still working on her. And as soon as they wheeled her away from me and they put her in the ambulance to take her away, I stopped and I texted my colleague. I said, shots fired. Female's been hit. She's not going to make it. Because I already saw her. I, I saw When I saw her, she was gone. I knew she was gone. Wow. And, um, and so the point being is that I am one of those rare birds in the shooting of Ashley Babbitt's circumstance where I can honestly say, yes, he could have waited. He could have paused, hesitated to see if she was unarmed. You know, yeah, he could have done that. Um, And then we have to ask what compelled her to suddenly leap through that window. And her husband says that she was highly claustrophobic and that she, in his mind, his, uh, that she was just trying to get 
out of that compressed scene that was taking place there in that speaker's lobby hallway and stairwell. So I don't know. I don't know, Dan. And but but I I'm I'm willing I'm willing to be the person to take the swords from both sides and say I don't know because you know look I I I have read um, I have read text threads this morning. I'm seriously this morning from a retired Capitol Police sergeant who claims that Ashley Babbitt got what she deserved. Wow. And of course, I have seen thousands of of um, uh, social media posts of people from the left saying that she got what she deserved. But I have also seen an equal number of the opposite of claiming that Lieutenant Michael Byrd is a murderer. And, and, and some of my, some of my own colleagues in this business, some of my best friends in the business of news, they believe that Michael Byrd um, should be, uh, convicted of, of some level of homicide, a yeah. criminal homicide, yeah. and that that he is a murderer, and uh, they're very adamant about it. And some of them have have studied that circumstance um, into greater detail than I have, and have come to that conclusion. I'm just not there yet, but I will tell you that I have flip flopped, um, and so uh, I'm I'm still you know in that valley of decision when it comes to her particular circumstance. We're going to take a break and give you a breather. On the other side of this, I want to fast forward. You uh, got permission to go to and look at all of the 40,000 hours or however much it is of all the video from that day. I want you to take a breather. When we come back, Steve's going to walk us through the process and tell us what he found and also tell us the results of what he and the Blaze Network have published, and it really has gotten ugly. Steve Baker's with us today. We will be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Gosh, I wish we had about three hours with Steve that uh, there are so many moving facts. Now, I know there is no such thing. Facts live in a vacuum. Facts are just that, facts. But explanations of what facts means is what made the media news industry happen in the first place. And in many cases, it's just someone's interpretation of actual facts. 
And in Washington, D.C., for some reason, Steve, uh, we hear a lot of that pontification about telling us what's factual, and then somebody else said, no, that's not true, and then they get into an argument, and that, in some cases, is per- purposeful because they don't want anybody to mm-hmm. know. They want us to just buy their line, hook, line, and sinker, and just go home and not even think about it. And I know you faced a whole bunch of that. Now, we're fast forward. We're going to have him back. I want him to spend time explaining the trials that he witnessed firsthand. He was in the courtroom on the Proud Boy prosecutions and others. I mean, every day. He was firsthand and saw and heard what happened in those cases. We're not going to have the time today to get into that. But he will come back and fill you in. It'll make your hair stand on end, what he saw about the way the the uh, uh, judicial system is treating some of these January 6 people that are caught up in that. But take us forward to all of the footage, how it came to pass, and how you were one of the few that was chosen to be able to access these videos. Actually, I have to go all the way back to when Tucker Carlson and the Fox News team at the time uh, were given access to the video. One of the biggest misconceptions that I have to deal with constantly is people think that the Capitol Police or or, uh, Speaker McCarthy back then gave all of that 41,000 hours worth of footage to Fox News or to Tucker Carlson or to any of the other journalists that had uh, been granted access. That's not the case. They didn't give us anything. They gave us access to a room in one of the congressional office buildings there, um, a secure room. We can't even go in and out of that room without assistance. There's a staffer there watching us. We can't record anything in that room. We can't bring, uh, we have to set our cell phones on the other side of the room and leave them there. Uh, We're only allowed to use pen and paper to uh, take notes, uh, to write down camera numbers and time stamps uh, for the uh, stories and the videos that we're interested in. And then when we're finished uh, logging and viewing and are finding, first of all, because that's a process then. I mean, it, it's an incredibly, it's an incredibly robust software system they have, but let's just, let's just start with the daunting task of going through 41,000 hours worth of footage. Now, if you, if you haven't done the math on that, one person could get through that in about five years of continual viewing without ever sleeping, eating, or going to the restaurant. That's how long it would take one person to view all that. But you can narrow that down because the really, really interesting parts are what take place between roughly, you know, noon and five o'clock. So you can cut off a lot of that, uh, that, that overwhelming number. That's why you used to, we used to hear about 14,000 hours before we heard about 41,000 hours because it was the 14,000 hours was the meat of the day. And that was the footage that had been given to the um, defense uh, teams, attorneys and defendants in what they called discovery for their trials. So we were starting originally at 40, 14,000 hours. But of course, what I've discovered is that there's a lot more interesting that's happening at maybe 5.30 in the morning. Maybe these ghost buses that we've heard about from uh, Representative Higgins down there in Louisiana with you, uh, maybe maybe he knows something. Maybe he saw something. Then there's, of course, the hours when the pipe bombs were delivered to the RNC and DNC uh, offices just uh, a couple blocks from the Capitol. And then there are, of course, the, the, the cameras down in the tunnel where the people, where there's no protesters, but maybe, just maybe, I happen to find a officer 
down in those tunnels who claimed he was somewhere else during the day, claimed that he was a witness to another event during the day, claimed that he saw something that convicted some people to decades of prison, but he wasn't there. He was in another building. So there are things to look at if you know what to look for. So going all the way back to Tucker, because of the research, because of the investigations, the work that I've been doing uh, for so long, Tucker's producers first contacted me and asked me what they needed to be looking for. So I had a couple of conversations with them. They took one of my, one of my stories and um, went with that. And then it was a couple of months later that I was offered the third chair uh, by um, Epic Times, Joe Hanneman. It was, they had other, only three consoles in this room to view. And so when they booked their time in the, the room, uh, it was it was Joe, one of his producers, and he offered me the third chair. So I was able to get in there that first time uh, for three days, and that's where I began to find the. Of course, I knew what I was looking for when I got there, and that was when I began to look for the uh, the Dunn uh, Officer Dunn and Officer Lazarus uh, uh, videos. And then when I went to um, uh, work with the Blaze later on this or uh, later in the year. Then I was able to book additional time in there, take a Blaze team in with me, had two of our video analysts in there with us. And then last week I was in there yet again. I got an entire week in there because of the, yeah, they don't usually give you that much time in one run, but because of the holidays coming up, I guess the room was just empty. And, and had there been other media booking booking the time, I would, have not, would not have had the access. But I was able to get in there all day, five days last week with uh, two video analysts from Blaze. And we were able to get a lot of work done last week. So the process is is tedious. It's um, 1,738 cameras, and you, there you if you have a subject that you're looking at, if you're tracing an officer or a protester or whoever it is that you're doing a story on or that you're curious about, 100% um, of the capital is not covered. So you lose them. They they walk out of camera frame. You don't know if they walked down a secret staircase, they went through another doorway, they went into somebody's office, and then you have to find them. You have to triangulate from other angles, and you have to look on, on the floor above and the floor below and see where and if they emerge again. So it's a very, very tough process to go through this. Um, and uh, it takes hours and hours of real um, intense energy. But you can have you can have as many as a dozen or 14, I think it's 14 actual screens up on one of our monitors at a time. So you can have cameras, you can have that many cameras going at a time. Um, and then you can hit a synchronized button. Like as I said, it's a really great software program. It's a proprietary system built for them. And then when you hit the sync button, all of those cameras sync up to the millisecond in time. So you, that way you can track and watch and watch and see, okay, there he is there. there that's where he emerged right there. So it's, it's an interesting process, but it, it um, you know, it, it's old school <laughs> investigative work, even though it is with new, new technology. Well, it was with that system that you had your very first aha moment over some of the testimony in the trials you had heard from some of these officials. When I say officials, I'm talking about Capitol Police officers that had testified under oath in the trials of these so-called insurrectionists. And things didn't just add up. In other words, what you had heard in trials didn't line up with what you confirmed in the videos. Please explain. 
Yeah, Lynn, let's not take a lot of time on that. I would encourage everyone to go to um, theblaze.com uh, and take take a look at uh, just just type in search my name and go read my articles. We have the details on um, Special Agent David Lazarus of the United States Capitol Police. He was the head of Nancy Pelosi, uh, Pelosi's security detail. And then also look up Officer Harry Dunn, who was ostensibly the the, the, the christened hero of the day. He's received Congressional Medal, Presidential Medal, book deal. And by the way, he is uh, effectively quitting he is fit, quitting the force, and I think his last day is uh, December 31st of this year. And we can talk about that if you want to uh, later. But uh, yours truly may or may not have a hand, have had a hand in that. But the uh, the point being is is that is that because of what I saw in the trials last year, I had my radar pinging pretty hard into the red, and so I knew what I wanted to see. There was testimony in those trials. I did not believe there were things that took place in those trials that set me on the course that I've been on for the last year. And when I got into the video room, I found what I was looking for and it validated and it verified my suspicions going all the way back to October of 2022. And so we were able to release, begin the process of releasing these stories. Dan, we're, we're nowhere near even done with this yet. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much more to come and people go, well, if you, if you know these stories, why don't you release them? Why don't you, there's people that are being, you know, they're, that are, rotting away in prisons because you won't release your stories. And that's just not the way it works, folks. This is this. Can you imagine the, the legal minefields that they have to, that these news agencies have to navigate or they end up getting sued for a billion dollars like Fox did over the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, like you know the voting machines uh, or the lawsuits that they received because of the Ray Epps story defamation lawsuits that they received the, these news agencies whether it's the blaze or me has to be so careful every i has to be dotted every t crossed and every single fact has to be validated checked run through multiple editors the legal department um, and and then of course there's the other issue when you're talking about these capital uh, videos is we have to get them approved even after they submit to me my request. So, so once they transfer the videos that we've requested to use, then once we put the films together and edit them in the manner that we're going to present them to the country, we have to then submit that back to the congressional committee and get a security review on what we're using. And then some, and sometimes we have to go back and we have to blur out things and blur out faces or blur out a wall or a stairwell or something like that. It's a complex process. I can't just tell the world what I know. I have to prove it. I have to prove it to my editor. I have to prove it to their lawyers. And then we have to take it and we have to get a permission to use it by agreement. And then, and only then can we present this. It took me a year, Dan, to finally, it took me, it was a year and one day exactly before I got on the case of Special Agent Lazarus till I was actually able to present that story to the American people. So just in the last 10 days, you have been put through the ringer again. Tell us about the notification back, I guess a year or so ago, when your attorney got a phone call from the feds putting you on notice that they were going to indict you. And then take us forward to last week. We've got about 10 minutes left, and I want to get that stuff and the latest stuff you're personally dealing with before we finish today. 
Yeah, Dan, I always knew that because I went into the building and because I did not submit my stories to the New Yorker, the um, uh, <laughs> you know the BuzzFeed or um, Daily uh, uh, something or the other, you know, on, on the, the Daily Beast, I, I knew that because I didn't submit my stories to a left-wing publication that there was always a possibility that I might end up in the crosshairs of the feds. Now, this is despite the fact that absolutely, irrefutably, 100% by the video, capital CCT video, a thousand people's cameras, uh, professional press photogs that were inside the building that I show up on a thousand cameras that day, Dan. Not once did I do anything untoward. Not once did I do anything unprofessional. Not once did I commit a, an act of violence or property damage or anything of the sort. But because I don't see the world the way that the approved narrative is supposed to be presented to the American public, um, then I knew that it, I, it was always a possibility I could be in the crosshairs. In July of 21, six, just six months after January 6th, I received a phone call from a FBI special agent here in Raleigh, North Carolina. They asked me to come in for an interview. I turned that over to my attorney. Um, a, a series of, of, of circumstances happened, but they were very, very um, workable. They were, uh, they, they were, very conscious of my travel schedule and uh, my band schedule. And so they worked around that. We finally uh, had my interview in October of 21. Obviously they weren't in a hurry because they knew I wasn't a threat to the nation. Let's just lay that out there. If I was a threat, they would have swatted me in, you know, January of 21. Oh, and they still but might. They, they still might. They still might. Uh, they still might. They still might. Cause they, they do that. But th it was 20, it was six months before they called me. It was in the 10th month of the year before they ever interviewed me. And then a month later in November of 21, my attorney received an email from uh, an, uh, an assistant U.S. attorney out of Philadelphia saying that his client, meaning me, would be charged within the week. Well, within the week, put that in Thanksgiving week of 21. I was on the road. I was traveling, uh, as I am often doing. And um, there was some back and forth between my attorney and the uh, U.S. attorney. And then they went away and we didn't hear from them again for 20 months, 20 months of me wondering every single morning at 6 a.m. if I was going to see the red dots coming through the window and hear my front door smash down. And then all of a sudden in uh, August of this year, we received notice uh, from the same assistant U.S. attorney that I had a subpoena to turn over all of my January 6th videos to a grand jury in DC. We complied with that. And then they went away again for four months. And we didn't hear from them again until Thursday morning. I was actually meeting with Congress uh, members and staffers on Thursday morning. Uh, I was in the Rayburn building uh, just across the street from the Capitol. I walked out of one congressional meeting uh, over to another. And at the end of the second meeting, I got a text from my attorney saying, you need to call me. And I'm like, oh crap. Cause that's never, you know, it's just never good. Dan, <laughs> when you get that text, it's either your attorney, it's either your attorney telling you that you need to pay your bill or that <laughs> you better call me because you're in deep doo-doo again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So I step out and he said uh, that he had just received a uh, call from the FBI agent who had been working my case from at this point, two and a half years and said that they were asking if I would be in town the next week, which was this week, and that they were asking for me, if I was going to be in town, to self-surrender today, Tuesday, 
the uh, the nineteenth, and I uh, obviously had to, <laughs> to uh, take a step back and a gulp and say, okay, well, here we are, almost three years later, and they're finally getting around to me. And again, they were being cooperative. I, we were being cooperative, and they assured my attorney, the FBI agent rather, assured my attorney that um, I would be processed. I'd present myself to the U.S. Marshals at the county courthouse here in Raleigh, and that they would uh, go through the, you know, I'd, I'd get fingerprinted, I'd get the mug shot, I'd uh, go through the processing, I'd stand before the local magistrate uh, for my arraignment, and but they wouldn't tell me what my charges are because the FBI agent said to my attorney that he himself did not know and he himself would not know until the magistrate actually signed off on the warrant. I'm not so sure I believe that little uh, conveyance from the FBI agent, but it is what it is. So uh, I stepped out of that meeting. That was about 11 o'clock on uh, Thursday morning last week. I immediately uh, got on the phone with uh, my editor, The Blaze. I made a couple of other quick phone calls, and then I tweeted out what was happening to me. And that tweet, I think, has now been seen by four and a half million people. And the uh, the phone began to ring. I began to do interviews. Obviously, The Blaze had me on uh, three of their shows. I was on with Glenn uh, back the next morning. And we did a massive uh, media splurge, kind of you know what I call an offensive um, counterattack, whatever you want to call it. And as a result of that, I think it's as a result of that, uh, that my attorney late in the day on Friday received another call from the same agent. And it was, this was after hours. It was after 5 PM Eastern, uh, when the government offices are closed and the FBI agent called him and told him that they were going to delay my self surrender, uh, until after Christmas. And that uh, also, uh, very interestingly, a new assistant U.S. attorney has been assigned to my case. So the one who was assigned for two and a half years is no longer on my case. Now they do, you know, I, I, I could read things into that both directions. That could be an ominous sign. It could be a welcome sign. Um, but it could be a, a nothing burger sign because these cases do get reassigned on, on occasion. But the timing in my situation is a little, little curious because nobody, nobody that has been arrested yet, nobody has been charged who has been charged yet uh, in these cases has received the publicity that little old me has received uh, apart from possibly Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers and Enrico, uh, Enrique Tario of uh, the Proud Boys. And to what do you attribute that? Why, why are you so visible? This is a major First Amendment attack. There you go. This is this is a attack. This is selective prosecution. A lot of people say, "Oh, you're using the whataboutism defense." Well, what about the other uh, <laughs> the other sixty journalists that walked through the building and they didn't get charged? Yeah, I, Dan, I love whataboutisms because it makes you actually have to go through the intellectual effort to explain to me why the government is not charging that guy who went through a broken window with a cell phone camera, walked into the Senate floor, filmed the QAnon shaman praying inside of there, and then walked out and then submitted his story and his videos to the New Yorker, and he has not been charged. Why am I being charged for doing exactly the same thing, yeah. actually committing less of an offense? I didn't go through a broken window. 
I walked through an open door that several hundred people had already passed through before I did. Additionally, I didn't walk onto the Senate floor, which is if he is an actual credentialed journalist, Luke Mogelson, I'm referring to, and he is, he knows he can't walk on the floor of that chamber. That congressional press badge only gives him access to the gallery up in the, you know, balcony. Steve, we may never know everything about what happened, who was behind it all, the purposes, who were pulling the strings that day. But I do know this. God put you in a place with responsibility and opened every door. And you have unabashedly pursued the facts. And as your friend first, as your brother second, I want to say I am thankful that you allowed yourself to be put in this place. And it's got to be spooky. There are some sleepless nights, I know. But I want to say thank you. And I'm looking forward to finishing this walk wherever it goes we're going to be right there with you. I will personally, of course, but so will Truth News Network. And again, thank you for sharing this with us. And thank you for being honest and telling the truth and not being afraid to tell the truth. That's what makes you different from most journalists. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Now, if we can just take for the last minute here, and if I can encourage everybody to go... Um, I, 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 look, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do a fundraiser for my illegal defense fund. I, I've been blessed by the attorneys that are working with me. We've got a great team coming together, but the, uh, but they're obviously going to be uh, some uh, unusual expenses involved. All I'm asking people to do is just go join my locals community. They don't, they can make a donation if they want to, but just go to tpc4usa.com, tpc, the number four usa.com. And uh, you can sign up for free and just follow what we're doing. Pray, pray for the situation, pray for the people involved, pray for me. Or for as little as $5 a month, they can then follow closely because I get inside information almost every day about my circumstances and my investigations that I don't share publicly. Uh, and then, of course, they can make uh, one-time donations there as well as if they don't want to sign up for anything. But that's tpc4usa.com. If... We don't talk before this weekend. And if I don't see you, Merry Christmas. And I know this year has been good to you. A lot of fear, a lot of misunderstanding. But you're on top right now. And I believe you're going to stay there. We're going to walk through this with you. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate that. And thank all of your listeners. Everybody here, you heard it raw. You heard the facts, and there will be much more to come. When he comes back, we're going to pick up. There are some spots that he didn't have time to share with you that are important, that are critical, and some of those things expose the underbelly of the United States of America, and it ain't pretty. Steve Baker, have a great weekend. The rest of you folks, we're in the Christmas mode, and we're going to finish this week out together doing Christmas, even right now. Steve, thank you. We'll talk soon. Set the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? 
Silver and gold, let us bring him silver. 